0: Rick and we're here back on another podcast episode at RISA. Today I have in front of me Joel. Um, Joel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Joel Tiedemann. I'm a real estate development professional. I've been in the industry for about 13 years. I started in Edmonton. I've been in Calgary for the last eight Um and yeah, I love uh, having a hand in building the city. So that's why I do what I do.
0: What what you do. So uh, where did your real estate career start? It, or when did you know that you were interested in real estate?
1: I have a very random path into real estate. So I have a degree in biology from the University of Alberta. Um, and at the time I was there, you could do a minor in business, which I did. Um, for three years out of university, I worked in oil and gas remediation reclamation. Um, I was away from home like three quarters of the time. I was writing giant technical reports. I never got to see the client. Um, and during that time I was trying to build or buy my first house uh, in Edmonton. And at that time I was unable to find a home I could afford in a neighborhood I liked. So my dad and I ended up purchasing a home that was had a demolition order against it. And then I just taught myself the whole process, hired a drafter, applied for the permits. Um, my family, they're all super handy. My mom and dad built our family cottage um so my dad and i with the help of some friends framed the house ran all the electrical did all the finishing everything and when that home was finished we did it all evenings and weekends and when that home was finished i looked at the final product and i was like oh my god this is amazing this is what i want to do for a living so i sent my resume out to like it had to be at least like 90 percent of the home builders in edmonton like how old were you at this time so i would have been 23 At the time.
0: So that's around the time you got yourself into real estate.
1: Yeah. And so I just, I loved the finished product and I was like, that's what I wanna do for a living. Um, I was very fortunate at the time, Brookfield Residential, um, their construction manager hired half of their staff out of construction and half of their staff with like a formal education background. Um, So I got on board as an associate site manager working on multifamily for Brookfield and that's where my career started.
0: Oh, wow. So what were the challenges when you started your first job as being an associate uh, site manager?
1: So dealing with trades takes like a very um, nuanced approach. Um, It was very different than like constantly dealing with engineers all the time. Um, The way you schedule them, the way you talk to them um, is all very unique. And then one of the biggest things for me was, you know, I built a single family home and like family cottage. But I was working on a multifamily site. And so, you know, dealing with the engineering that goes along with that, the order of how the building goes together, what trade do you call when, what pieces have to go in before other pieces. So really the whole like schedule of how the building went together was a huge piece for me to learn.
0: How many units did you deal with in your first project?
1: So the first project that I worked on was about 200 townhome units. It was about three quarters complete when I started. So I was just finishing the last quarter. Um, And then as uh, uh, an associate site superintendent, I started two um, other smaller sites as well.
0: So was the role different as being a site manager compared to the superintendent?
1: So pretty much the same thing, just different companies call it something different. Okay, okay. So in the role that I was in, when I was hired, the superintendent at Brookfield would take the building from excavation up to basically drywall. And then the associate superintendent would take it from drywall to finish and turn over to the homeowner. Um, I was really lucky because the superintendent or site manager I was working for really he taught me a lot and eventually allowed me just to run everything from excavation to turnover. Um, he taught me enough that I was able to do that.
0: Wow, that's a really good experience. Um, there, was there anything specific you found extremely like difficult about a certain aspect of the building process?
1: I think the biggest thing for me, like once you've built a few buildings, they kind of all start to go together the same way. Um, I can sometimes be conflict adverse and when you're on a site and a trade has installed something wrong or installed the wrong product, and then you have to get them back out and say, listen, you, you have to take this all out. Like, let's say they put in the wrong floor, you take all this flooring out and replace it. Those are really challenging conversations to have. Um, And so I think that was probably the hardest part of that for me getting like, you know, major deficiencies corrected sometimes.
0: So who would cover the cost in that type of situation where they put the wrong flooring in, but you guys selected a different flooring, for example?
1: So in that case, if it's like, if all the documentation is there, like the estimators have sent the right information out to the trades, it's, it's on the trade to replace it.
0: Okay, okay, and then as you transitioned, how many projects did you do before your next step in your career?
1: So I had worked on three different multifamily sites, like on site, and then an opportunity popped up at Brookfield um as a project coordinator on multifamily so dealing with the architects dealing with the engineers designing the buildings designing the sites um and kind of as i had like you know started to learn about how the buildings went together i thought there was probably an opportunity to maybe design our sites more efficiently design our buildings more efficiently and so i took that role as a project co- coordinator after working in the field for about 2 years
0: for about 2 years yeah. and then um how difficult was the transition to becoming a project coordinator compared to the superintendent?
1: So it was really interesting because again, transitioning from dealing with trades, to dealing with engineers and other like professional consultants, um, just the way that you communicate with them and the type of deliverables that you get from them is very different. I was very lucky. The general manager of multifamily at the time had been in her role for quite a while. And so she was able to teach me very quickly um, I remember on like one of my first days, um, we were changing out the style of units that was going into a project that was part under construction already. And she said something to me along the lines of like, can you call the architect and get them to like change the site plan and, and swap this unit for this unit. And I basically looked at her, like she was speaking a different language. Cause I was like, I have no idea what you just asked me. <laughs> and as soon as she was able to like walk me through, like what you were asking, why you were asking it. Um, you know, again, you start to work through enough projects. Um, I probably designed half a dozen to like maybe eight different townhome sites um, over the rest of my career at Brookfield. Um, You start to figure out like what types of units fit well in different neighborhoods. How can you like click your different units together to get your most efficient site build out? Um, And I found that it's really something that you... Like anything in life, you you learn as you do more, right?
0: So, which neighborhoods did you specifically partake in in these multifamily
1: units? So, those ones when I was at Brookfield, it was in Emton. So, I was working in uh, Summerside, the Orchards, and Chapelle primarily.
0: Okay, okay. And then, as you did a few, you designed a few of these projects, and you got used to that. What was your next step in your career? The next stage, I guess you could say.
1: So, my the the general manager at the time went on mat leave and they were looking for someone to take over the multifamily department during her absence. I put my name forward even though I'd only been in the role for about a year and a half Um, and the rest of the management team agreed. Uh, So during her mat leave I ran the multifamily department in Edmonton and then when she came back uh, she took on a different role and I continued to lead that team and then eventually primarily for personal reasons um, in 2014 I wanted to move to Calgary um, and at the time Brookfield was going through a lot of changes and they just weren't able to like actually take me from Edmonton and place me in Calgary. They just had a lot of other things they were focusing on. Um, and I ended up getting hired by a local developer, Serena Homes, um, basically doing the same thing on a much smaller scale for them.
0: So how was the transition going from such a large company like Brookfield to Serena, Serena Homes?
1: That's a great question. and. Uh, one of the biggest things, and I've worked for big companies and small companies in my career with the smaller companies, you just end up wearing a lot more hats, right? So at a big company like Brookfield, you're really focused on your task. Um, you know exactly what you have to do. Someone else is going to do all the other things. And then when you're at a small company where you're, you know, five to nine employees, like you have to do a lot more things to, to get everything completed, right? Cause you don't have an in-house drafting department. You don't have as many in-house accountants. And so, Everybody just has to do a little bit more. You have to learn how to work on the performance yourself and be more self sufficient in terms of dealing with the consultants. Um, and I think, you know, development has a lot of similarities, um, city to city in terms of like how your buildings actually go together and what the market wants, how you actually build them. Um, I think one of the biggest differences is the municipalities for me. So the way you would apply for a project in Edmonton versus how you would do it in Calgary and that whole process, um, at the time when I moved was was very different. And so getting used to the nuances of, of dealing with the planning staff in Calgary was one of the biggest learning curves for me.
0: Would you say it would be more difficult in Calgary compared to Edmonton?
1: Um, a little bit more difficult, I would say. It takes a little bit longer and it's a little bit more structured. So for example, in Edmonton, when I would submit a development permit for a townhome site in three to four weeks, I would get an email from the planner that would say, can you address these items? And he would just list them. The city of Calgary's process is a lot more robust, and I think it's for a good reason because there's more formal documentation. So the city has a mandated amount of time that they will respond to any application to, which is kind of agreed upon between the city and industry. And then you get like a formal response um, from four different departments in the city. And they say, this is what we want to see on your next submission. And it's just a lot more formalized, I guess. Um, So that felt like a little foreign to me, like almost like it was um, almost like you were like kind of closer to the planners in Edmonton. But once you get your head wrapped around the process, um, the city staff in Calgary are, are very responsive and I find very good to deal with. So once you kind of figure out that process then you can learn, like, how do you negotiate? If they ask for something, can you say, you don't just have to say, yeah, okay, we'll do it. You can say, well, what if we look at it this way instead? Um, and the more projects you put through the system, the, the more comfortable you get with it.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Um, what were the first few projects you worked at uh, with in Calgary?
1: So I was doing a lot of like four unit townhome projects. Um, So at first with Serena, we were doing a bunch of the projects that were like two townhome units in the front, two um, townhome units in the back. So it kind of like looks like a duplex from the front, but it also has two side or two rear units. And then we started getting into, I guess what people would call like corner lot RCGs now. So you'd have like four townhome units side by side on a corner lot. We did a number of those as well. Um, and then at that stage of my career, I also got into the first, what I would call like mid-rise buildings. So when I joined Serena, they were building their first four-story building with commercial on the bottom. So that was pretty unique for me because I had never built anything that tall before. I'd never built anything with commercial. Um, and then, you know, I was able to work with a fantastic design team there, um, get a couple development permits approved for some five-story buildings in Martaloop along 33rd. Uh, one of them had commercial in the bottom, one of them didn't. Um, and so, you know, really stepping into that role, working on slightly bigger projects. Um, you know, I was in contact with more of the trades in the city. So we got to build more of those relationships um, with more files going back and forth to the city. You know, I was uh, speaking at public hearings to council, um, sitting through CPC meetings, meeting more of the planners, uh, meeting more of the planning department. Um, so those like two years that i worked for serena gave me a really really good exposure uh, to the development world in calgary
0: how does that work when you're marketing a project that has commercial and residential in it like when you're trying to sell these units like how difficult would you say it would be to try to sell that in the market in your market condition during that time
1: so you market them very independently because you have a very different buyer for the residential units and the commercial units um so you know we had an internal sales and marketing team who were actively marketing the condo units. Um, We had converted a home on 33rd Ave into a sales center, which is kind of interesting. We like finished it out with a fit and finish that we were putting in the condos so people could walk in and kind of get an idea of what the unit was gonna look like. And then we had partnered with a commercial broker to lease up the uh, commercial portion of the building. The one thing I would say to that is anytime you're doing a mixed-use building, there are different structures you can put in place in terms of like, is there one single condo board that both the commercial units and the residential units sit on? Or do you create a separate strata so the commercial is run independently from the residential? And at the time of sale, it matters a a little bit less. Um, But when the building is actually in operation, it's really, really important because basically it's like, how much influence does the residential have over the commercial or vice versa and how independently do those two sections of the building operate. So it's maybe a little bit less important from like a sales and marketing strategy and more important from a building operations perspective.
0: Okay. And then, um, when, when what was your next step in transitioning after you did how many projects did you you did three or four projects with uh, Serena?
1: So between like closing out stuff that was under construction, Um, starting new projects and getting approvals. I probably worked on maybe like a half dozen projects total with Serena. Um, And then I was basically just offered um, a really great opportunity from a former mentor and former colleague um, to move over to Anthem Properties and work on all of the commercial and residential developments um, that Anthem had in Calgary. So how do you feel about
0: doing that switch? Because you went from a big company to a small company, and back to a big company.
1: Um, Yeah. So I think you know working with Strina was amazing. You you got your hands on a lot of things. Um, As I said, you have to wear a lot of hats, and there's some stress that comes along with that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me with Anthem, like they're headquartered in Vancouver, um, and the development team in Calgary is fairly small. Their land development team is like for suburban land development is fairly large, but their like inner city, actual like building development team is fairly small. Um, The thing that really drew me over to them at the time was they were negotiating to buy the former CVC building on Memorial drive and the location of that project and the vision for what I thought could go there with, that was just like, it was a career opportunity. And I was like, I want to work on that project. I want my fingerprints on this. Like so many people are going to drive by this. We can do something really cool here. So that was kind of the the like big selling point for me. Um, in terms of how the companies operate, like yes, Anthem is a big company, but again, like the team in Calgary was fairly small. So you have touch points with, uh, with the mothership back in Vancouver. Um, but you know, we had a certain degree of freedom in terms of how the developments actually running in Calgary. So. I think it was like kind of a happy medium for me, I'd say.
0: Okay, so what was your role then at Anthem? Was it that specific project, multiple projects?
1: So again, it was multiple projects. I think, you know, that's one thing um, in the development world, at least in my experience, it's very rare that you're only working on one project. Um, We were working on everything from, you know, maintaining an existing development permit and building permit on a, on a very, very large project that the company just hadn't got going on yet, um, to closing out the last six concrete buildings in Waterfront. So again, you know, when I moved to Calgary and worked for Serena, I stepped up from townhomes to four story and then moving from Serena, I stepped up from four story to, I think the biggest building that we did was like 18 stories. Um, so, you know, like a whole another scale jump um, and so those projects were already under, um, they already had approvals, they were already underway. I was just kind of like, like I said, on the one managing the file with the city and on the other one managing the closeout of construction, um, we were getting final approvals for an apartment building that we built in Kensington. So I shepherded the project through the final stage of the approval process and then got the construction started. Um, worked on a suburban townhome project, both the design, the permit approvals and the construction start, and then got about four additional development permits designed and approved in the inner city for a few for townhomes uh, and two for bigger apartment buildings. And then towards the end of my career at Anthem, um, it's something that I didn't have a lot of exposure to, but I was actually working on two very large uh, suburban commercial sites. So very different, like my experience had primarily been in residential and mixed use. And so I got some really good exposure um, through a really good mentor at Anthem in terms of like how to design a commercial site, how to lease it up. Um, And yeah, so I don't know, I probably worked on a dozen or more projects at Anthem of all varying sizes and scales and and types. So that was really interesting.
0: What are some of the similarities or differences between these projects, like the residential versus the commercial? Like some things you could, you know, maybe reach back into your past, gain some experience from some of your previous projects, and then how it compared to projects you were working on in the commercial sector.
1: So I think like at a very basic level, you're dealing with, you know, structural engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. So a lot of the same disciplines, architects, um, the process that you go through with the city is very similar. The the key nuances are like the building practices that are different between commercial and residential the and the requirements um, in the code. And then what the client wants, right? So obviously a residential client wants certain things, certain fit and finish, certain layout, just like a commercial client will want, you know, um, certain clear heights in their building and doors in certain places and columns in certain places. So. Um, you kind of learn to work with similar design teams and then you really just have to focus on how you design for the end user.
0: Which projects did you like enjoy working on more like the commercial or the residential? What would you say would more interesting to you?
1: Um, both are interesting. I would say so on the commercial side, typically what you do is you, you build out, you design and build out the exterior of the building and take the interior to like drywall finish. And then down the road, you work with each individual tenant to kind of like finish their interior space. And typically what happens is the developer just gives an allowance to the tenant and then they spend that allowance finishing it. Um, For me in a residential building where you're actually finishing out the entire building, you're seeing the fit and finish, the floors go in, the appliances go in. It's just like that finished product is a little bit more tangible for me. So I think I like that side of the business a little bit more, but honestly, I think my favorite is probably mixed use because you kind of get the blend of both, right? So you like have to make sure you design the at grade commercial so that it'll be attractive to tenants so you can lease the space up. Um, But then you get to do the whole like residential fit and finish on the floors above. So I think that kind of blend is my favorite.
0: Sounds like you got a log going on. How did you... How, what was your typical work day? Like, how long... What hours would you work in, your, in like, a typical day?
1: So, a development manager or director of development, somebody who, who is a development professional, what we really do is kind of... So, we, like, steer the show for the project. But, like, an architect is drawing the building. And then we're giving them feedback to change it. Uh, Structural engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers are designing the systems and how the building goes together. And then we're talking to our construction teams. And based on my experience or other development professionals experience, we're talking to the engineering teams about tweaking things. And then we also manage the applications with the city and the responses to the city. So it's not like I'm not like sitting at my desk, actually designing these projects every day. I'm kind of like the conductor in an orchestra, I would say to give you a like corny reference point. (laughs) Um, so a lot of your days are spent, you know, you're in meetings with engineers, you're in meetings with the city, um, you're sending emails back and forth, requesting changes or, you know, a lot of times we're requesting proposals from the engineers to say like, Hey, I have this new project. I want you to work on it. How much do you think it's going to cost? Um, you know, we work with um, you know, people who are selling land. You know, if there's an opportunity, we'll sit down and say, Okay, like how much do you want for the land? And then we'll do some financial work, you know, run some performance and say, What do we think fits, what'll work. And so one of the things that I love about the industry that I work in is the days are so diverse. Like I could be working on a spreadsheet one day and then I could be like standing on a construction site with a hard hat on, making sure you know, that either the general contractor or my construction team is building things the way they're supposed to be built and then like kind of everything in between. So there's not a lot of repetition. Now I mean like, yes, you have to go through the same steps for every project, but every project is different and your days just change so much. That's one of the pieces that I love.
0: Because every project probably has different hurdles or like, you know, depends on the environment the situation at the time, right?
1: Absolutely. And it depends on, you know, what does the market want at that time? What is what are the constraints on your parcels? Or is the infrastructure around the parcel sufficient to handle the new building that you want to build or not? And so so every piece that you work on is different. And as the market evolves um, as a real estate developer, it's incumbent on you to also evolve and and deliver the product that the market actually wants. So you can take your learnings in terms of like, how did I get from land acquisition to delivering the building? You know, there's key milestones and key things that you have to do but you constantly have to be adjusting to, you know, maybe the city has a new policy. So now on this next building, we're gonna to have to approach things slightly differently. Or maybe the market has like totally changed and now they want like all three bedroom units where they wanted all one bedroom units before. And so you kind of have to like keep your finger on the pulse of, of the city and the market to make sure that, you know, you just don't do everything the same way project to project. Again, you can take major learnings across projects, but you have to be nimble and flexible on the, on the specifics.
0: So did you stay up to date with these market conditions all the time or did you have a team that would kind of tell you what's going on in the market at the time?
1: So a little bit of both. I'm a self-professed real estate nerd. Um, I like spend way too much time on my MLS app. Um, I love looking into new projects when I see them going up. And so just for like my personal interest, I try to stay up on it. Um, At the various companies I've worked at, Um, We've had like marketing teams who are doing market research and so we're always looking at like what does the market want in the product, what kind of prices are they willing to pay. But then we also work with outside partners too. So there's groups in Calgary like uh, Zonda and Altus who they put out general market data typically on like a quarterly basis. But then you can also go to them and request specific data so if I'm going to do I don't know, let's just say for example, like a 12 story condo building on 17th Ave, I could get a company like Zonda to go out and do some very specific market research for me within a certain catchment and they could tell me, okay, your unit mix should be this many one beds, this many two beds, this many three beds. Your pricing should be from this range to this range. The market will expect this type of fit and finish. And then you can start to like craft your your building around that market info.
0: Then, then you start looking at what the construction cost B for that, right? Then you'd compare it to what it could sell for?
1: Absolutely. So what we're kind of doing, the whole process, so like from when we initially start looking at a piece of land all the way till we like get financing and then close a the building out, we're running various types of performance on the project. So initially when you're looking at purchasing the land, it's going to be high level, right? Because you haven't designed the building yet. You're going to assume you're going to have a certain number of floors, Um, You're going to be able to sell a certain percentage of your uh, space within the building versus, you know, like corridors you don't sell. You have to build it, but you don't get revenue from it. Um, Typically what we do is we'll look at past projects as recently as possible, see what our construction costs were, see what our development costs were. Um, Again, using some market data, we'll figure out what we think our revenue can be. And then before we even buy the land, those numbers have to make sense. And then when you purchase the land and you start to go through design then those numbers become more and more precise as you actually as the building starts to take shape like with the architect now you actually know how much square footage you can sell and how much square footage you can build you start to talk to either your construction team or general contractors about like okay what do we think this cost is really going to be because again you're kind of using like a high level cost input at the land acquisition stage and then as you actually like get into marketing and construction, then those numbers keep getting more and more refined as you sign contracts, as you sign sales contracts and you sign um, trade contracts. And so basically what we're trying to do, what I've tried to do over the course of my career is build a model that at the acquisition stage, is as accurate as possible so that you don't have these giant swings and returns from you know a high level performa to a very detailed performa it's hard to do and and the environment changes and you might you know find something along the way that you didn't expect maybe the price of lumber doubles or you know labor becomes really hard to find um, but we're always trying to forecast as early as possible what the true returns on a project will be
0: <clears throat> did you ever deal with any projects that you would consider like unsuccessful and if so like how did you uh, deal with that and combat that
1: So. Typically, if you're going to actually start a project, like put shovels in the ground and you're getting external financing, which like 95% of developers do, you have to have your numbers to a point where the bank will be comfortable loaning you the money. Typically that threshold sits like somewhere around the 12% return mark. So if I was working on a project and designing it and we kept getting like, like single digit returns projected, we probably wouldn't move forward with it. Now, you do run into challenges where, so I was working on um, one townhome, a suburban townhome site, started in 2018. And we hired a Vancouver based architect. Um, the product was gorgeous. The interior design was probably a little bit higher than what the market was willing to pay for. And so we ended up being about 50 to $60,000 more than our competitor directly across the street from us. And they ended up like eating our lunch on the sales side because people were coming in and saying like, I'm getting essentially the same thing. It's maybe not quite as nice, but I'm a first time home buyer. So like that 50 to $60,000 means a lot. And so we ended up having to go through a process on that project of like, totally redesigning the units, not just like the fit and finish of the interior, but like the actual size of the units to shrink them down a little bit. And so I would say that was one of the more challenging projects that I worked on that maybe wasn't like super successful at the outset. But, you know, that's another piece where as a developer, if you're getting input from the market, you have to be flexible to changes, right? The one thing you know, that I've said to people I've worked with is you never want to fall in love with a project, even though we spend like so much time designing and putting our heart and soul into them. If if you just take a hard line and say, I'm building it this way, no matter what, or I love this piece of land, I'm going to buy this piece of land, no matter what, um, you can get into trouble if the project isn't great. And so you have to be um, open to outside suggestion and uh, be flexible when the market demands it.
0: Okay, definitely. And then let's just transition a little bit. So you were at Anthem for two years, three years? Five years. Oh, oh, five years, actually. So what what did you do after Anthem? What was your next? uh,
1: Uh, So after Anthem, I went to another fairly large company. So I worked for Minto. Minto, yeah. Uh, So they are Toronto-based. You know, they have a relatively small team in Calgary. Um, we were working on some very cool inner city projects. So while I totally understand that there is a demand for suburban product, uh, my heart and my passion definitely lies more in the inner city. Um, and they just had some really great parcels, um, that needed some help and support on. And so I came in to kind of help shepherd some of those projects along.
0: Okay, and as some viewers might not know, Joel's also a professor at the University of Calgary. So when did you get into actually, you thought that you wanted to teach teach students?
1: So it was about three years ago. Um, So I teach real estate 567, which is the capstone course for the undergrad in real estate. Um, The individual who was teaching before had said that they were done and the university was looking for a, a new instructor. One of my colleagues who teaches another class in the real estate program uh, put my name forward and the university reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in doing it. I had never considered teaching before, um, but I've had some phenomenal mentors throughout my career. And when I went to university, no program like this existed. Like everything that I know about development in real estate I've learned on the job. And I just thought it was a phenomenal opportunity for students to come out of university with a degree and work in the industry with way more knowledge than I had when I went in the industry. So it was a pretty easy yes for me. Um, having never taught before, there was a lot to learn about like putting a class curriculum together and, and running a class and assignments and marking assignments. But um, one of the things that, that I really love about the class that I teach is the classes are fairly small. So we're talking like 10 to 12 students. And these are the students who are really passionate about real estate. Right, like they don't have to take this class. This is a project based class. Um, typically, if they're there, they're really invested. Um, and so, I've been able to teach some phenomenal students, uh, many of whom work in the industry now, which is also really exciting for me to see. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's something that I do on the side that I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, what would you say is difficult about teaching students because you have a lot of experience? Mm-hmm. How, how do you translate into trying to teach someone your experience?
1: yeah that's a great question um and there's a lot of nuance in development in terms of uh you know the assumptions that we make about costs and revenues uh, timelines especially i think that's one thing um that i found over the last few years when the students present their final projects part of it is they have to put a timeline together right all the way from acquisition to building completion and I think there's like an optimism from somebody who maybe hasn't worked in the industry before like we're going to get these approvals really fast we're going to build the building really fast we're going to sell it really fast Um, and the reality is like developments take a long time Uh, design takes a long time approvals take a long time construction always takes longer than you think it's going to take and so i think one of the biggest things um, that i've noticed over the last couple years is really trying to to titter the conversation around you know maybe you might think it should only take this long but in reality it takes longer and here's why so so actually trying to like get across the nuance of how things work um, in the real world and one thing that i really love about my class too is i don't just rely on the expertise that i have so development professionals are generalists we know a little bit about a lot of things but we hire a lot of outside consultants So what I try to do in my class is I bring in experts who know more about sections of the industry than me. So I'll bring in planners from the city of Calgary who can walk through the planning process in an even more detailed way than I can. I'll bring in architects, I'll bring in engineers, I'll bring in commercial brokers, I'll bring in salespeople who really have like a niche um, knowledge in a specific section of development so that they can impart their knowledge on the students. And they're not just getting it from me from kind of like, you know, a 10,000 foot level. Um, And I think the students have really appreciated that. And I think that it just gives them, you know, that much more information and their projects just become that much more real because they have proper inputs from industry professionals.
0: What type of projects do you try to incorporate in your
1: class? So the, the class is kind of structured like a case comp. And I know in the master's version of the class, they actually do a case comp like that. That's how it's structured. So what I wanted to do to get the students really interested in the projects they were working on is every year I have four developers who have vacant parcels in the city of Calgary come and pitch their sites to the students. Then I break the students into groups and then I give them the freedom to pick what site they want to work on. So it's not just some, you know, nebulous site of like oh there's like two acres in seattle in the heart of the city like what would you put here the projects that the students are working on are sites they can go visit there are sites that they know Um, for example the stadium redevelopment right close to the university Um, the first year that i taught i had one of the consulting firms that's working on the redevelopment there come in and, and kind of you know pitch that site so that's something the students could have selected But I think the fact that they're actually picking real sites in Calgary um, that they've either heard about or can go research or actually talk to the developer makes it really tangible for them. Um, And that's kind of the direction that I've taken the class in, like trying to give it like real world experience. And then I think there's probably like two of the sites that I've had presented to the class, will have buildings constructed on them next year. So then if the students are, you know, still interested in those sites, you know, either later on in their degree or when they're out of university, they could actually go and see, oh, what did the developer actually decide to do on the site? And then they can, you know, compare that to to what they had put forward.
0: Definitely. That's interesting. I agree with you. I feel like the hands-on experience actually helps students a lot in engaging and, you know, it's different than reading out of a textbook, you know, when you can actually do a project. And that's very useful. Um, let's just say for a student that knows that they're interested in real estate, but they don't know what they want to do. Like, they just know that like they, they're interested in real estate, they don't know what they want to do. What would you recommend for them to try to figure out the right sector to go into?
1: I would just recommend talking to a lot of people. Um, the response from the industry in the real estate program in general is really good. I mean, we were kind of chatting earlier I'm guest lecturing in a number of classes. A lot of colleagues that I have guest lecture in classes. Um, when you have the opportunity, when, you know, these industry professionals come to your class, ask them questions, ask them for a coffee. Um, a lot of the people in the industry are really nice and they'll be willing to, you know, dedicate some time to sitting down with someone who's interested. And maybe you want to talk to an architect or a broker, or, you know, maybe you want to work in real estate finance. Maybe you want to be a generalist and be a real estate, you know, development professional, like just ask questions. Don't be scared to ask people for coffee. Um, don't be scared to pull someone aside after they guest lecture in your class and talk to them in the hallway. I think um, a lot of people who work in the industry obviously are doing what they do because because they love it or they've been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of really good insight um, that you can gain by just having conversations with people.
0: Definitely, definitely. Have you noticed any different uh, barriers to entry from when you started and you entered the industry compared to a student who's entering the marketplace now?
1: I would actually say like from when I entered to to what I see now, I think there's a lot more acceptance um, to hire someone junior because a lot of companies will run through developments in a certain way. They have a certain procedure they like to go through and it's almost easier to hire someone who's a little bit more green and doesn't have, let's say a lot of bad habits entrenched in them. Um, But again, like when I was first asked to teach in this program, like I was just floored that it existed. Like the students who come into the real estate program at the U of C have a base of knowledge that I didn't have at all when I joined the industry. So you can take someone with a degree like that or who's even taken a few real estate classes, bring them into the industry and they'll have a general idea of what you're talking about. And then you can can kind of groom them. So um, there's a lot more opportunities for internships while you're in school. So if anything, from my perspective, I would say there are fewer barriers to entry at this stage.
0: And as a student, like you're trying to enter the industry. How do you know, like, uh, the steps that you're taking are the right steps to take? Or if you're making the wrong steps or the right steps? What um, do you think just through experience, students will just learn if it's right or wrong?
1: Yeah, experience is, is pretty big. Um, I would say... If, if you're a student running through the real estate program, take as many, take a variety of classes. Because um, again, in development, we wear a lot of hats. And so the more general knowledge you can have, the better. Um, there's a lot of different specific areas you can work in in development. And I think, you know, again, going back to having the conversations with the experts in those particular areas, part of it is just learning and doing. Maybe you take a job and you really enjoy that segment of the industry. Maybe you realize you don't like a certain segment of the industry that you're working in. And I think you just have to like pay attention to what gets you excited and follow that.
0: Definitely. You mentioned the the job part and I know I've talked to a few students and a lot of students say they don't know if they want to start their own business or mm-hmm. if they should get a job, get the experience and maybe start their own business later. What advice would you give to students who are kind of in the middle?
1: I never want to dissuade an entrepreneur away from starting a business, but there's a lot of nuance to development, um, permitting design, um, how to get financing. I think it would be a really difficult thing to just come out of university and and start a business from scratch. Maybe along like the prop tech lines would be a little bit more feasible, but if you wanted to actually like construct projects, I would highly recommend, um, going and working for a developer whose projects get you excited, who you respect, um, get a couple years under your belt uh, before you actually went and executed a project. Because, you know, we see even like seasoned developers sometimes lose their shirts on projects. And if you're doing that on your first one, your company won't last very long. So I think that experience is pretty key.
0: Okay, definitely. Um, Another question I have is um, what do you see for the next five years in terms of yourself personally growth Mm. as well as the city of Calgary?
1: So I'll start with the city of Calgary question. I think there's a lot of interesting things happening right now. I don't know if you were following kind of like the missing middle discussion that was happening at council over the last number of months. So there's a new land use policy that just got approved that's gonna allow like mid-block townhome development to be a lot easier. Uh, it's really interesting because you know not everyone wants to live in condos. Condo buildings are expensive to build and difficult to finance. So um, you know this kind of like again the missing middle of of this townhome product is is kind of a nice happy medium between you know a single family home in the established area that a lot of people can not afford that I can't afford. My wife and I had to had to move out of the uh, inner city into the suburbs when we wanted a bigger house. Um, and I think we're going to see an explosion of this missing middle housing because it makes so much sense from adding a small amount of density to very desirable neighborhoods in the city. Um, the price points are better than a single family home. Uh, the time and cost to execute the project from the de- developer's perspective is significantly easier than a, than a condo building. Um, so I'm really excited for that. Um, I think some of the work that's happening in the downtown and in the arena district is going to be really exciting. We're going to bring a bunch of new buildings with very cool designs, add some significant density to our core. Um, Yeah, and and I think, you know, to get super nerdy, um, the planning department is going to completely rewrite the land use bylaw starting next year. Um, you know the land use bylaw in Calgary was written in 2007 so it's getting to be about 20 years old now it's time for a refresh and I think that you know there's been a lot of major municipalities who have done some unique things with their land use bylaws and I think Calgary is in a place where um, we can have a really uh, interesting new bylaw that'll be great for the citizens of Calgary um, and will facilitate some very unique developments as well.
0: And for the last question as well, because where do you see yourself going in the next five years?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I'm working for a really awesome consulting company right now, um, so I get my hands on all kinds of different projects, uh, which is pretty exciting. I'm doing some work in the Calgary inner city. I'm doing some work in Canmore. Um, some work even as far out as BC. Not very much, but a little bit of land use planning. Um, and it really gives me the flexibility to work on different kinds of projects, and um, I get to work very, very closely with the owners of the company, which is really exciting for me. And so I'm just kind of hoping that that, you know, kind of blossoms and grows, and I get to keep working on additional projects with them, and uh, yeah, putting my fingerprints on more exciting projects.
0: Yeah, that's probably really exciting. You know, probably seeing a project that you worked on from the ground up, and maybe just driving around, driving by it on a Saturday or a Sunday on your day off, and. Maybe like I helped contribute to that project, right?
1: Absolutely. Even I remember like it was maybe three years after I'd been in Calgary and my parents were here visiting and we were driving around and I was showing them stuff and I was like, oh, I worked on that project and I worked on that project. And it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, like there was, there was nothing there before or there was like a single family home there and now there's six townhomes and it's just interesting to see how you can like help shape and change the city.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. I think a lot of people probably found the information and your insights really useful. Uh, I know I definitely did. Um, so I think that concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Joel, for being on. Thanks and for having me. In the future, you know, maybe maybe we'll have another podcast or have maybe you and someone else and you, know, yeah. you can get more insight because definitely I feel like there's a lot more questions we could ask you because you have a lot, lot of knowledge. Um, So thank you for your time. Yeah, you're welcome.